We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 674 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Tuesday October 10th 2023 three weeks away are we from Halloween you know my six-year-old son came up to me while I was working on this show to show me his costume for this year an astronaut costume which also could double as a daft punk costume, but I'm not sure that he'd get that. Uh, My three-year-old daughter is going to be a cheerleader. At least that is the costume that has been purchased for her. Whether she actually agrees to wear that costume, who the heck knows? What are the good sports costumes for this Halloween? How many couples will be going to Halloween parties as Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? I'm guessing more than a few. How about Deion Sanders? How about Coach Prime? Uh, Will dressing up as Coach Prime be a thing This Halloween, we shall see. I'd like to see some people (laughs) dressed up as Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. I'll be going out with my kids when they go trick-or-treating. Will I see any people dressed up (laughs) as Ron and Jack this Halloween? Is anyone listening planning on dressing up as Ron and or Jack this Halloween? What would go into dressing up as Ron and Jack for Halloween. I'll let you figure that out. But hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Speaking of our commander's head coach, Rod Rivera, and our commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. Next segment, I will react to what NFL insider Josina Anderson of CBS Sports reported on Tuesday regarding the job status of Ron and the job status of Jack. Yes, we (laughs) have arrived at that point, the point at which the national NFL media now is reporting on the job statuses of Ron and Jack. Also next segment, I'll get into what Ron had to say during a press conference on Monday afternoon, including him revealing not one, but two key players who the team was to be placing on the reserve injured list. Uh, Additionally, this is a 2 guest installment of the podcast. Uh, Coming up on the show, I will talk with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post, and we are going to go in-depth on the Commander's defense and on quarterback Sam Howell, including uh, Sam Fortier's theory for why the secondary 
has been so bad. Sam has a theory. He's going to share that with us. Uh, Whether Jack Del Rio's job as defensive coordinator is on the line over the team's next few games, what truly is behind the heavy pass-happy nature of the commander's offense? Just how likely an in-season fix of the Sam Howell sack problem is and more. Sam Forty, a big analytics guy, so he speaks a language that we on this podcast very much embrace, but there's a lot of good stuff from Sam Fortier on the Commanders coming up. And then after my conversation with Sam, I'm going to welcome to the podcast Redskins historian Mike Richmond, who has written a new book, George Allen, A Football Life. Uh, George Allen, the legendary former Skins head coach and general manager, the father (laughs) of former Skins executive Bruce Allen. Yes, George fathered Brucifer. Uh, But George Allen is one of the most interesting and important people in Skins history. Mike knows Skins history like few people on the planet. And Mike has a lot of tremendous details and anecdotes about the career of George Allen. George Allen was way before my time. So I found talking to Mike about George to be really educational. But even if you were around for George's time with the Skins, I think that you'll get a lot out of what Mike has to say. You know, one of the great pieces from NFL Films on the Skins is called Three Cheers for the Redskins, a documentary about George's first season with the Skins, 1971. The following is a classic clip from this documentary. Uh, This is from a victorious Skins locker room after a 38-24 win at George's former team, the Los Angeles Rams on Monday Night Football on December 13th, 1971. You will hear George do his classic three cheers for the Redskins. Uh, Then you'll hear linebacker Jack Pardee, who years later would succeed George Allen as Skins head coach, present George with a game ball. And then you'll hear the team serenade George with one of the great locker room cheers. I don't know that the skin started this, but this is such a great cheer. It's been used many times over the years. You can change the name that is used in this cheer. But uh, in this instance, the cheer is hooray for George. Hooray at last. Hooray for George. He's a horse's ass. (laughs) Classic stuff, man. Classic stuff. Here you go. Three cheers for the Redskins. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Let's have three more. Three cheers for the Redskins. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hey, I got the first one, Speedy. The damn guy that prepared so much, and hell, we're going to go a long ways together, but here's George Allen. Thank you. Outstanding. The legendary George Allen Skins historian Mike Richmond on his new book about George Allen later in the show. Before we get to some feedback, some baseball, the Orioles is their 2023 season going to end on Tuesday night. Uh, the O's are down 2-0 to the Texas Rangers in a best of five American League Division Series. Uh, game three is at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, Tuesday night at 8.03. The O's on Monday afternoon announced that Dean Kramer will be 
their starting pitcher for Game 3. Dean Kramer, by the way, has Israeli citizenship. He has dual citizenship, United States citizenship and Israeli citizenship. So uh, presumably a lot on the mind of Dean Kramer right now. Also from the O's on Monday afternoon, they announced that their ace reliever Felix Batista had successful Tommy John surgery on his right elbow on Monday. Meantime, the Nationals, more (laughs) changes for the Nats. Uh, Multiple reports on Monday evening that the Nats are retaining pitching coach Jim Hickey, but are parting with bench coach Tim Bogar, first base coach Eric Young Jr., third base coach Gary DeSarcina, and assistant hitting coach Pat Rossler. Uh, No word on hitting coach Darnell Coles. But more changes for the Nats. Boy, for a rebuild that's supposedly going well, this team sure is making a lot of changes, major changes in the team scouting department, major changes in player development, and now major changes on manager Davey Martinez's coaching staff. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on Ron Rivera. Email from Ramesh, writes Ramesh, I am one of your regular listeners from the UK and enjoy listening to your podcast each weekday. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you, Ramesh, continues Ramesh. I have been a supporter of what Ron Rivera is trying to do and have been hoping that with Dan Snyder gone, we finally would get that step forward season, even if it would be a year late. Understanding that the team would be leaning on Jack Del Rio's veteran defense while Eric Bieniemy's offense got up to speed. But year four of the Rivera era started shakily with those two close wins against bad teams before the wheels came off the wagon in spectacular style. I'm really glad that the Bears game was a night game because it started at 1 a.m. UK time and the debacle occurred while I was sound asleep. I think it's now clear that the Ron and Jack show has run its course, and the only question now is when they should both go to provide the greatest opportunity to find the best replacements. As you have said before, we need an offensive-leaning head coach who can align the team's roster coaching and strategy to the modern NFL, and we need a defensive coordinator who can make do with a fraction of the resources that JDR has squandered. The roster is going to need significant adjustment this offseason. Keep Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and let Montez Sweat and Chase Young go in free agency. Make no effort to re-sign either guy. Two huge salaries on the defensive line is enough. Reinvest the savings into the offensive line. In general, have an offense-first mentality and roster building that can provide a successful foundation for today's game. Every year, aim to choose offensive players first with your premium draft picks. The opposite of what the team has done for many years now. Make do on defense and be okay with being just average on defense. More Danny Johnsons and fewer Emmanuel Forbes Juniors and William Jackson the thirds. I know that Dan is gone, and that is a great win in and of itself, but how about winning on the field, too? Thank you for the email, Ramesh. Uh, You know, I brought this up in our conversation with Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic on last Thursday's show, episode 671. Washington has spent a first-round pick on a defensive player in six of the last seven NFL drafts. It more and more feels like We are going to look back on the team having done this in a time in which the NFL became such an offensive league as a major mistake. And what makes that even more likely is that it's not like all of these first round picks have been flops. 
Interior defensive lineman and 2017 first-round pick John Allen, major hit. Interior defensive lineman and 2018 first-round pick Deron Payne, hit. Edge defender and 2019 first-round pick Montez Sweat, hit. Now, the jury is out on the last three first-round defensive players taken by the team. Edge defender Chase Young in 2020, linebacker Jamin Davis in 2021, and corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. in 2022. But even with the hits of John Duran and Montez, to say nothing of other draft hits on defensive players, the defense still is unreliable. Why? Well, a big part of this is that that is defense in the current NFL. Defense is volatile. Defense is at the mercy of how good the opposing quarterback is. And so offense is what you want to focus on. Now, an NFL team can find plenty of good players beyond first rounds of NFL drafts. But by and large, there are better players in the first rounds of NFL drafts as compared to in other rounds of NFL drafts. Email from Michael King writes, Mike, so Ron Rivera, who is the very personification of poor to mediocre, hired Martin Mayhew as general manager. Mayhew used to be the Detroit Lions GM. Now we have the Skins still as a poor to mediocre team, and the Lions have perhaps their best team in years. That's not a coincidence. Another fine job by Rivera. Thanks, Al. Always the best show in town by far. Well, thank you for that, Mike. So, you know, it has been eight years since Martin Mayhew was with the Lions. Mayhew spent 15 years, 2001 to 2015, in the Lions organization. He was their general manager from September 2008 to November 2015. He then was with the San Francisco 49ers. Mayhew was with the Niners for four seasons, the first two, 2017 and 2018, as the team's senior personnel executive. And he then was promoted to vice president of player personnel in January 2019, and that it was in January 2021 that Washington announced the hiring of Mayhew as its GM. So you can't really say that the rise of the Lions coincides with the departure of Mayhew. A lot happened with the Lions between Mayhew's tenure as their GM and now. But to Mike's point, there are things with the Lions to note as a Commanders fan, namely this, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell has one more winning regular season as Lions head coach than Ron Rivera has as Washington head coach. Dan's first season as Lions head coach was 2021. The Lions in the 2021 regular season went just 3-13-1, but the Lions in the 2022 regular season went 9-8, and and the Lions this regular season are 4-1. and And the Lions have an offense that is the envy of most other NFL teams with Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson looking like someone who will have his pick of NFL head coaching jobs this coming offseason. Well, uh, we hope that you are never harmed by the negligence of someone else. But if that has happened and you have your pick of law firms, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. You know, Paulson and Nace is the Ben Johnson of law firms. Smart, forward-thinking, and effective. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. Paulson and Nace will fight for you and your family in a way that no other law firm will. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. 
Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are Dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Uh, Chris Nace in May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Chris in July was elected as the parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice. And both Chris and Matt Nace in August were recognized by Best Lawyers in America for 2024. Why? Well, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial and That's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonAndNace.com. That's PaulsonAndNace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, before we get to our guests, Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post and Redskins historian Mike Richmond on his new book about legendary former Skins head coach and general manager George Allen. We on Monday afternoon did have some Commander's news. Head coach Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon did a press conference at which he announced that the team was placing safeties Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves on the reserve injured list as each guy got hurt in the 40-20 loss to the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field this past Thursday night. Forrest suffered a shoulder injury. Reeves suffered a knee injury. Uh, The hope is that each guy can be back this season, but Ron said that he was still waiting on more medical information. You know, the commanders over the first four games of this regular season had been really healthy. You knew that significant injuries would come, and sure enough, they have come. Uh, Although the commanders could soon be getting back two key defensive players, uh, edge defender F.A. Obata and interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis. Each has been on the reserve injured list since August 31st. Each guy is eligible to have his uh, practice window started. Uh, but, you know, the commander secondary already reeling in terms of its performance this season and now is without a key guy and Derek Forrest and a key reserve and Jeremy Reeves. Derek Forrest for this regular season has played on 99.1% of the commander's defensive snaps. Uh, Now, he has not been at his best, but still a key member of the commander's secondary. Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon said that Derek Forrest being out will mean more playing time for Percy Butler and or Quan Martin. Uh, yes, the same Quan Martin, uh, on whom the commander spent a second round pick in the 2023 NFL draft, but a guy who over the team's first five games of this regular season has played on zero defensive snaps. Yes, zero. 
Uh, Quan for the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos in Week 2 was inactive due to a concussion, but he, in each of the Commander's other four games this regular season, has not played on a single defensive snap. Here was Ron on Monday afternoon on the team off this loss to the Bears, now losing a key player in the secondary in Derek Forrest. And what now for the Commanders at safety? You know, I think the big thing for us is just next man up. You know, let, let's get ready to roll. And we don't have time to, 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 you know, worry about those things. It's very unfortunate. He's a heck of a young man. He had a, you know, he's had a good start to his career. He's played a lot of football already. And, you know, this is third season. But it's very unfortunate because, you know, you saw the growth and development. You know, he, he, he you know, he's playing hard. He, he brings an infectious energy. And to lose him early is, is tough on us. But... You know, we drafted Percy for a reason. We, we, we got Quan for a reason, and this, and this is why. And so now it's the next man up mentality, and we just got to, you know, go forward and get ready. Yes, you do. Uh, and then Jeremy Reeves, he, of course, is the commander's special teams ace. Reeves, this past January, was named to the Associated Press's 2022 All-Pro First Team as its special teamer. Uh, This was Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on the impact of the loss of Jeremy Reeves on commander special teams. That's a big, that's a big blow for us. You know, um, obviously we have some guys on practice squad that uh, we're going to look at and we'll we'll be elevating. Um, You know, a couple of those guys are guys that are special teams guys as well. And uh, they're defensive backs that give us uh, options. And so we're most certainly going to look at these guys and, and, and see where we are with that conversation that you know that Nate and I are having uh, as far as that's concerned. Nate as in the commander special teams coordinator Nate Katzer. Also with the commanders on Monday was a <laughs> notable and lengthy and I mean lengthy post on X or tweet from NFL insider Josina Anderson of CBS Sports. Josina has covered the NFL for years. She has a good relationship with Ron Rivera. She also was one of the national media members who this past offseason scolded the commanders for not trying to trade for Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Josina was uh, rather over the top with how much she was like lobbying for the commanders to try to trade for Lamar. It was like she was on Lamar's payroll. Uh, anyway, Josina definitely has connections. She definitely has sources. Uh, and she on Monday in this uh, lengthy, and I mean... <laughs> lengthy tweet had this as part of what she wrote. What I'm going to do is edit what she wrote down to what matters. Quote, with the commanders coming off a 40-20 loss last week to the Bears on TNF, I'm told as of today, managing partner Josh Harris's perspective is to continue to allow things to play out when it comes to potential staff decisions at this time per source. Harris is a seasoned sports owner who is viewed internally as generally patient. I'm told one of Harris's biggest concerns now, though, is the impact an emotional national loss may have on ticket sales, which always has to be taken into account, too. Separately, when it comes to any decisions on defensive coordinator, there's an internal impression that Rod Rivera would prefer to allow things to play out. Now, while I'm told some of the other limited partners have their own thoughts, and you can read between the lines there, we'll see how things settle as the season evolves. There is still time for better results, but the clock is ticking. End quote. 
Uh, now, all of that isn't even the entirety of what Josina Anderson wrote, but uh, that is what matters the most from what she wrote. The tax code is shorter than what Josina wrote, but what Josina had toward the end there, quote, I'm told some of the other limited partners have their own thoughts and you can read between the lines there, end quote. Boy, does that not seem like she's talking at least in part about Magic Johnson. The same Magic Johnson who on Thursday night tweeted that the commanders in their loss to the Bears, quote, played with no intensity or fire, end quote. Josina wrote, quote, some of the other limited partners have their own thoughts, end quote. So that would seem to mean that she was referring to more than one of the limited partners. But it sure would seem like Magic is one of the limited partners to whom Josina was referring. Is Magic Johnson lobbying for defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio to get fired or even for Ron Rivera to get fired? Uh, This was Ron on Monday afternoon on how to make sure that what happened in the loss to the Bears does not snowball into upcoming weeks. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. Well, I just think the first and foremost, there was a good opportunity for us the last couple of days to, to dive into several things, study some things, look at some things, evaluate um, what we do and how we do it, evaluate the way we're doing it. Um, and I think, you know, going through it and, and in our conversations that we've come to some pretty good resolutions on something that, you know, most certainly do need to be corrected, need to be fixed, um, and some things that we can do to help the players. And is there anything in particular that you could even share about that? And then what does that do you have a different level of confidence that it wouldn't seep into coming weeks? I yes, guess. I do. I do. Just because it's all fixable. It's all things that we believe that uh, we can get corrected, get handled and go forward. Everything is fixable. Uh, I actually think that that's true. The question is, will everything get fixed? Uh, You heard Rod Rivera say that he spent Friday, Saturday, and Sunday studying various aspects of the team. This was Ron on Monday afternoon on what this process was like. Friday was a long day, um, the longest of, of, of Saturday and Sunday, longer than Saturday and Sunday, that's for sure. But, you know, getting a chance to go back and look at specific things, looking for specific things, looking at some of the analytics that we have that we get from our people, talk about the, you know, that tell us about some of the things. You know, I got a chance to look at them, and then you look at the tape, and you see them, and, and you say, okay, I get it, I look at it, let's correct it, and let's go on. All right, and this was Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on if anything that he uncovered in this deep dive, this self-scout surprised him. I think probably some of the things that that surprised us was just the missed opportunities. You know, you go back and you look at, you know, one of the things that we looked at obviously was the third down. You know, I was looking at third down and and just the opportunities we had on both sides of the ball. You know, not just, you know, on the defense or on the offense, but on both sides of the ball. We, we could have done some things better. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, things that would have sustained drives for us on offense and things that would have gotten us off the field immediately on defense. Well, the commanders for this regular season through games on Sunday were just 25th out of 32 NFL teams in third down efficiency on offense and were just 20th out of 32 NFL teams in lowest opponents' third down efficiency. This was Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon with some examples of what stood out to him from the loss to the Bears in doing this uh, deep dive, this self-scout on the team. Well, I'll say, like, great example is the the, the last touchdown for Chicago. Uh, Kendall Fuller was going in to make a try and make a play on the ball. 
and that ball was thrown high. And if you look at look at it and try and time it out, Kendall's there in time to to to, to at least knock the ball down, but the ball was thrown high. And so it's a guy trying to make a play. You know, he wasn't doing more than he shouldn't have. His, his, he was doing exactly what he was. He had the beat on the play, when to break on it, and, and the ball was thrown high. Whether it was thrown on purpose or thrown on accident, it was just, it was a high ball. So sometimes those are the things that happen. Um, sometimes it's about putting yourself in the right position. Um, you know, their first touchdown against us, you know, we were in we were in one of our cover two, you know, our shells. We were in cover two, and unfortunately the safety uh, was too narrow. Needs to get to his landmark with vision and, and probably has a chance to either influence the quarterback not to throw that ball, or if he does, he's got a chance to make a play on the ball. So those are the type of things that, you know, that, that have happened. And, and again, that was a young player in, in that situation. It's got to be better. Yeah, and the player who I think that Ron Rivera was talking about right there was Percy Butler. Hey, did you know that the Capitals' regular season opener is this Friday night? Home to the arch-rival Pittsburgh Penguins at 7.30. If you are looking for tickets to a Caps game, uh, or a Commanders game, or a Wizards game, or a Maryland football game, or a Navy football game, or whatever, download the GameTime app and use the promo code ALGALDI. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. Game Time is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. Game Time is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Game Time also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with Game Time, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's Game Time. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Well, please consider following the podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of the podcast. Uh, No team in the NFL's 2023 regular season has allowed more points than the Denver Broncos have 181, but the team that has allowed the second most points 
this regular season is the Commanders, 160. Uh, the team is 2-3, and three, not 2-10, and 10, uh, although the record feels like 2-10 and 10 off the 40-20 loss to the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field this past Thursday night. Uh, but the Commanders' 2023 season still is very viable. However, any hope of the team's season being what we want it to be includes the defense getting a lot better. I am very pleased right now to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, the man who is at worst the second most popular Sam in Commander's Nation, Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. We have quarterback Sam Howell. We have right guard Samuel Cosme. Uh, I'd put Fortier ahead of Cosme, maybe not Howell, but uh, that is debatable. You can follow Sam on X on Twitter at Sam Four T R, and that's four, as in the number four. Hey Sam, are you comfortable with being the number two Sam in Commanders Nation? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough title to take, particularly because, as you mentioned, Sam Cosme, who's a guy who you know I have a pretty good rapport with. I like chopping it up with him in the locker room, and also I would say on the PR staff, Sam Fristashi <laughs> uh, from New Jersey, or excuse me, from Long Island. Is uh is is a pretty is a pretty good Sam as well, and their intern this year is Sammy. So uh, there's a lot of Sams in the building, that's for sure. I don't know if I want to say I'm the second most, you know, I'm the second best one. And things get even more complicated when you consider that uh, two legends for the franchise, quarterback Sammy Ball, linebacker Sam Huff, were Sams. But anyway, uh, one of the reasons that I like talking to you is that you're big into analytics, uh, as am I. Uh, You on Friday afternoon on WashingtonPost.com came out with an interesting analysis piece on what is wrong with the commander's defense. And you in the piece put forth a theory of the team's emphasis on creating turnovers being a reason for the defense being so bad. The idea being that the focus on generating takeaways has led to overaggression from defensive players. Do you in fact see this as a principal cause of the defensive struggles? I believe so. If you go back and watch the tapes, uh, you know, quite a few, I don't have an exact number, but quite a few of their defensive lapses this year, to me, have come because they're either gambling on picks, you know, they're, they're trying to undercut routes, like, you know, the first uh, 50-yarder to DJ Moore in, in the Bears game on Thursday night, one, you know, it was a double move that Benjamin St. Juice bid on, and you talk to St. Juice in the locker room, and he was like, I- I'm pissed about this. You know, I, should- I shouldn't have bitten on something that wasn't there. And then, you know, you look at Emmanuel Forbes, you look at Kendall Fuller on the, on the last DJ Moore big play, all those outside the numbers, all those – a big part of that was was them gambling, and I think another thing you're seeing is they're going for the ball. They're not always trying to just wrap up and make a tackle. They're going for the ball, and they're trying to punch it out, and that's leading to some leaky yards. And so, you know, those things added up, the explosive plays and the leaky yards, like that's one of the reasons that they're the second-worst defense in the NFL right now um, by defensive points allowed per game. I, on Monday's show, episode 673, talked about the commander's defensive problem being mostly about the secondary, that the secondary is the thing. Is that how you see this? Uh, yes, primarily, though I will say that the, the pass rush has not generated as much pressure as I expected. And obviously, teams are getting the ball out, they're attacking downfield, uh, but primarily, I think it is on the secondary, yes. Yeah, and what's so funny about the commander's defensive struggles is that defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio for months talked up the importance of the defense getting off to a good start to the season. And yet here we are now, a fourth bad start for the defense in four seasons with Jack 
as defensive coordinator. Now, to Jack's credit, he had each of the three previous seasons gotten the defense to be a lot better as the season went on. But is there something about Jack as a coach or about Jack's system or anything having to do with Jack that helps to explain why every Washington defense that he has had has gotten off to a bad start to a season? Clearly, the answer is yes. But the frustrating part is I cannot explain to you why Jack Del Rio's system seems to start slow. Because, I mean, look at it this way. Like, the first year, it was, oh, you know, it's a new coordinator, new system, they're learning. You know, guys were, were used to two-gapping uh, under the previous regime, and, and now they got to get up field. That, you know, it's a gap, gap-and-a-half system. They're, that's going to take time to acclimate to, even for a talented defensive front. Then, the second year, it's, oh, you know, Landon Collins uh, isn't a safety um but we have to play him at safety, and, and then we'll move him to linebacker. And after they did that, things got better. The third year, oh, William Jackson doesn't understand the scheme. He's you know creating a lot of broken plays, miscommunication. That's allowing a lot of broken plays. This year, like you've been in the same system for four years. Jack tweaked the coverage scheme two years ago to be more match zone than traditional spot drop coverage. So you know you're in the second system of that. You have a lot of continuity across the board, particularly in the defensive backfield, except for Emmanuel Forbes, literally the only rookie slash new addition that they're playing. Percy Butler was, was in the system last year and was playing more this year. But, I mean, they're, like to me, other than one of the reasons that the priority of turnovers, the emphasis on turnovers is leading some of these leaky plays, is because that's one of the most solid or rational explanations to me of why the defense could be starting slow again this year. It's, it, it is, it's maddening that this continues to be a problem despite all of the emphasis, despite all of the, you know, energy and effort that Jack Del Rio put into it before the year. And so, I mean, Al, I mean, it, it, tell me if I'm missing something, but, like, I cover this team every day. I look at the film. I look at the data. And, like, there's no trends that jump out to me other than maybe the emphasis. I hear you. Other than perhaps just the year-to-year nature of defense in the NFL now, and Washington defenses under Jack Del Rio are prime examples of this. The defense had a good 2020 season, a bad 2021 season, a good 2022 season, and now is having a bad 2023 season. What about the Chris Harris factor? Uh, Chris Harris spent the previous three seasons as Washington's defensive backs coach. The Tennessee Titans this past February 7th announced the hiring of Harris as Titans defensive pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Do you think that his absence helps to explain this dramatic fall off for the commander's secondary? I mean, it's certainly a variable. And I think that one of the other variables we should talk about, like you said, is, is variance of NFL defense. It's, it's less predictable year to year. It's just, that's just how defense is because you don't have the ball. You're not dictating. Um, I think another part of this could be defensive play calls. You know, uh, when Jack decides to get aggressive, when he doesn't get, you know, when he decides not to, I mean, he doesn't blitz very much because I think he's betting, hey, we're going to get pressure with four because that's where our talent is. And we're going to have seven in coverage. And, and that's going to make, you know, the window, especially if we disguise our coverages, that's going to make the window, uh, uh, you know, a little bit muddier for the quarterback, so he's going to have to hitch it another time, and then our pressure will get home. Obviously, that's not working, but when you talk about the, the the defensive backfield, particularly if you're going to disguise those coverages, if you're going to rotate your safeties or, or you know, show one high, rotate to two high, or the other way around, like, if those things are not being executed properly and you have the players that you've always had, it's just going to naturally say, hey, what's the different guy here? And it's Brent Wieselmeyer instead of Chris Harris. And so... When you talk to players, they did not they did not think that the, the loss of Chris Harris was 
was going to be a huge deal. That they thought, you know, obviously he's he's a he's a good coach, but that wasn't going to be a, a massive loss. But I think if right now you you have to look at everything and you got to say, is Brent Wieselmeyer doing everything he can to get the secondary ready? The Commanders' remaining games this month at the Atlanta Falcons this Sunday afternoon at 1, at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon, October 22nd at 1, and home to the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon, October 29th at 1. Is it wrong to say that Jack Del Rio's job as Commanders' defensive coordinator is on the line over these next three games? I mean, when you have the talent that he has and you are producing the results that he is, it's hard to say, no, his job's not in jeopardy. But at the same time, like, and I know fans are ready to fire Ron and Jack and (laughs) everybody else, but like, but I mean, Al, for real, like, who is a better option to call the defense? Like, the only guy who has experience on the staff calling the defense is Ron Rivera. And I don't think that, like, I think that, you know, he fired Eric Washington in in 2018 or 2019 in Carolina and he called the defensive plays. But I, I just think that's not where he's at as a coach anymore. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, all these guys, I mean, you have two first-year full-time position head coaches uh, in, in Jeff Scanina on the defensive line and Brent Wieselmeyer. Uh, Steve Ross is a long-time guy, but he's never called plays. Linebacker's coach. Uh, Rock Rogers, the safeties coach, has never called plays. It's, it's just not, it's just not a, a group that I, I see a, a, a natural successor. Or I don't see a guy who I could say, that guy could be an upgrade or that guy is, is they're in a position where if they fire Jack, maybe they have something with this younger guy and maybe he could develop into something. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I just don't see a way that the team gets better by firing Jack, but that's, you know, it's really hard to hear that probably because right now they're terrible. They are. Of that, there is no doubt. Much more with Sam Fortier in moments. I'm going to next ask him about corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. And then we are going to do a lot on quarterback Sam Howell. But yes, the commander's defense, bad right now. Almost as bad as what is happening with home and auto insurance right now. Hopefully you are happy with what you're paying for home and auto insurance. But if you're not, you're not alone. We right now are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Do yourself a favor Get with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. Uh, BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. Uh, And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. 
Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Emmanuel Forbes benched in the loss to the Bears. Do you expect a reduced snap count for him at the Falcons this Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I do. I mean, they benched him on Sunday. Uh, or excuse me, <laughs> everything's a Sunday uh, for the NFL, like when you cover the NFL. Um, when they benched him on Thursday, that was a clear indicator, as Ron Rivera said the next day, that this team understands the margin for error is thinner now. You cannot be um, you, you cannot be allowing guys to go through rookie growing pains if those rookie growing pains are so bad that they're going to cost you games. And actually, like this same principle to me makes me wonder if Eric Bieniemy will continue throwing at the rate that he has been. And I know they want Sam Howell to diagnose defenses. I know they want to get him reps. And 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 I don't think Eric Bieniemy ever you know goes into a game saying I'm going to call 55 straight pass plays like he did on Thursday, and that's a totally separate discussion we could get into. But when you think about Emmanuel, when you think about Sam, with the sacks, the struggles, like I see those two guys as, as parallel players in terms of how important they've been to the offense and defense, their relative inexperience, and like Washington deciding for the first quarter plus of the season to stick with those guys despite their struggles. Sam Howell, obviously, you can't go away from. He's, he's your only hope for franchise quarterback. He's really your only hope to Ron Rivera for saving your job, and, and that looks like a pretty long shot right now. But I mean, Emmanuel Forbes is, is not at the same level of, of you know, importance. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice can slide outside and you can do some different things on the inside or, or you can keep him inside and, you know, bump maybe, you know, another guy outside, whether it be Danny Johnson or, or other, someone else. So I see Emmanuel Forbes right now as a, as a massive liability. Maybe they think that he can reset over the mini buy and we'll say, hey, we'll give him a couple series, see how he looks. But yeah, I think the, the, the leash is much shorter and, and they're going to have to do something sooner rather than later if he continues to play how he has been. So Sam Howell, he isn't just on pace to obliterate the NFL record for most sacks taken by a quarterback in a regular season. He also is on pace to obliterate the franchise record for most pass attempts in a regular season. Uh, Eric Bieniemy being so pass heavy in his play calling, I actually really like that, but I am fascinated by this because it is in direct contrast with the ode to the running game uh, that we got from Rod Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew at their joint season-ending press conference this past January 10th. Uh, Is this pass-heavy approach mostly about wanting to develop Sam? Is the pass-heavy approach mostly about Eric's general offensive philosophy? What do you think is the top factor? To me, it's about developing Sam Howell. And sort of like Emmanuel Forbes when he was going through the struggles against A.J. Brown, like I think that Washington is planning. Washington's plan internally is, hey, we're going to have to play some tough games down this down the road, and so protecting them, coddling these guys who we know have to be big parts of our team is not going to help. So let's in the early season, like let's really lean on. Like if Sam, if you put the mental load on Sam, if he has to process, you know, fifty times a game, forty times a game, hey, this is the structure of the defense that I'm seeing pre-snap. How is it looking post-snap? How do I diagnose this? How do I, you know, dice it up? I think you really saw, like, basically I think Philly was 
why they did it. Because obviously he looked terrible against Buffalo, but he bounces back against Philly and he looks great. And I think that you're saying, okay, with the number of reps, it's the progression isn't going to be linear, but it's going to be upward. And so when that doesn't happen, you know, for, for another, you know, another game, I think obviously you have to go back and say, is this the right decision? I think coming out of the quarter plus mark of the, of the season, Eric Bieniemy now has to say, okay, we're getting a ton of too high looks because people know we're going to pass. Maybe I need to lean on the running game a little more. Maybe I need to start using um, more play action, more motion, because I think they haven't been using as much motion as they use in Kansas City because they do want to, you know, when you're going to put a lot on Sam, you need to say, hey, you know, what is the critical mass we can put on him? And I think motion hasn't hasn't been one of those things that they've decided, okay, we're going to we're gonna use this in the ultra-pass-heavy approach. We're just going to ask him to, you know, see the picture and, and diagnose. So to me, what is going to happen coming out of the mini buy is, is a huge, huge part of this. Will you stay with the pass-heavy approach? If you do, are you going to keep the same structure? Or are you going to add more motion? Are you going to actually reduce the number of concepts or concepts he has to um, process? Are we going to see more sprint, sprint out, rollout type action where you cut the field in half and ask less of him? Because I think that when you're talking about a guy who's inexperienced, like you're not playing the optimal version of your offense if you're focused on development. And at this point in the season, like you saw with benching Emmanuel, I think they might have to shift into what is the optimal version of this offense as opposed to what is the optimal development for Sam Five games into this commander's regular season, do you think that Ron Rivera and Eric Bieniemy are more pleased or displeased with how Sam Howell has played? Sam specifically, I think you have to be relatively pleased. I mean, that it's so hard to say that. Like when he had when he's leading the league in sacks and a majority of them are his fault. And you know, like but he also he just he just does so many things where you're like Oh man, if we can reduce the sack rate by, you know, not even not even half, but like just a little bit, he can make some of those absolutely baller throws and some of the plays like at the end of the Philly game where you're just not used to seeing a Washington quarterback make those plays. Like the the highs have been really high and the lows have been really low. And so but I think you expect the lows to be really low with a with a high variance quarterback like Sam with a first-time OC, with an offensive line that's not built to, to drop back pass protect, um, outside of quick game, certainly. So, I mean, I, th- I think they're more pleased, but, like, anytime you're 2-3 and three and you lost to the Bears and Sam's taking a ton of sacks, like, you got to say, hey, this is a problem. But I, I think that in terms of developmental curve, like, they'd be okay. I agree. There is a lot to like with Sam Howell, even when you do consider the sacks. And no doubt, the sacks are a big problem. Uh, Now, Sam, for this regular season, has the second worst sack percentage among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL, 13.2. He no longer has the worst. Uh, We can celebrate that. Uh, The honor now belongs to the New York Giants' Daniel Jones at 15.6. But how realistic is Sam within this season getting appreciably better at not taking sacks? This, this is a great question because it's something that I really dug into a couple weeks ago um, after took the nine sacks against Buffalo. And there's there's two components to this. And I'll start with the, the film component. If you look at the film, like there are so many sacks where it's it's an RPO concept. And an RPO is obviously it's handoff or pass. And you have to make that decision really quickly. And if you're going to make the pass, like you have to throw the pass really quickly on like the slant or the out because not only – are, are the offensive linemen 
quick setting to give you that second. Like, they're setting up to try to win right away, but, like, they're not going to hold their blocks for long. You have to throw it because they're going to get upfield. Like, they're gonna, there's going to be a man downfield penalty. But there are just several times where it's an RPO concept, he chooses to pass, and then he holds it. Or then he tries to, like, scramble. And that's not the way the play is designed to work. And there are other plays where, you know, you, you, you know, you just have to have a, a faster internal clock. 15 of his 19 sacks this year have taken three seconds or longer. And that's that's not an offensive line problem. And I know he scrambles on some of them, so he extends the clock. But, like, if you look at the majority of the pressures, they're Sam's fault this year. Um, and I know that might be hard for some people to say here because, like, people want to talk about the offensive line always. But the film suggests pretty clearly that if Sam can improve his decision-making, if he can keep his internal clock wound tight, that he can improve. Now let's shift to the data component. The data component, if you look at it, like no quarterback, very few quarterbacks historically have improved their sack rates over the long term of their career. Um, and, and none have improved it on a year-to-year basis. Although I will say, like, Sam is, is, is taking a lot of, like, he's taking an obscene number of sacks right now, especially, like, when you look at his pressure-to-sack ratio. Like, this is a thing that I think people don't understand that's important to note. Like, Sam is facing pressure. At about a league average rate, he faced a ton of the Buffalo game, and some people might have seen that stat, but like that was a one-game aberration. Overall, he's about league average in terms of how much he's pressured, but right now he's taking sacks on like 40% of his pressures, which is, an in, which is like, which would be over a full season the highest rate in NFL history. Like right now, Patrick Mahomes takes a sack, I want to say on 4% of his pressures. It's obscene. Like the thing that Patrick Mahomes is best at is not like getting out of the pocket and making these obscenely athletic plays. It's what doesn't happen? It's facing pressure and never getting sacked. And Sam Howell is like the polar opposite of that. He gets sacked all the time when he gets pressure. And I think that Eric Bieniemy, as a play caller, is trying to navigate that. But anyway, the data, back to the data. Historical data suggests that if a quarterback is going to meaningfully improve on his sack rate, that it's going to happen later in his career. I talked to Kevin Cole, who used to work at PFF. He writes the Unexpected Points newsletter. And he went through his like historical database of every quarterback that we can track ever. And really, the only guys that, like, made meaningful improvements were, like, Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck, like, mid to late career, when they had to get the ball out quickly because they were so injured. And it was like, I need to protect myself. The other guys who, like, have sack rates, like Sam Howell, and, and I should give some context here, the average sack rate is, like, 6%. Right now, Sam Howell is around 16%. And, like, the, the higher-end quarterbacks who can succeed, despite taking a lot of sacks, is, like, Russell Wilson. Like, Russell Wilson, he was, you know, in Seattle, peak Russ, with the defense. It was around 9 to 10%. And he could succeed despite that high sack rate because, like, despite a thinner margin for error, he was just hitting explosive plays. He was scrambling out of the pocket. You know, he was minimizing, like, when he was getting sacked, it wasn't always for eight yards. Sometimes it was for, like, one or two yards because he was getting back to the line of scrimmage on the scrambles. Sam Howell can succeed despite taking a lot of sacks. And in North Carolina, he never had a sack rate lower than 8%. So this has been a problem for a long, long time. And so he can succeed, but he just has to do all of the other things, and he's not doing them right now. And so, like, he can scramble. He can hit explosive plays. He just has to do them at a much higher rate if he's going to succeed despite taking the sacks. And he has to take the sack rate from, like, 16% down to, like, 8 9 10%. I know that was a, a very long-winded answer, Al, but, like, when you ask, is it possible? The film suggests yes. The data suggests no. And Sam, even if he is going to improve, he has to improve a little bit. He has to like meaningfully, he has to be really good when the ball leaves his hands. Nah, man. Awesome stuff. Commander's Insider, Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Uh, Sam, thank you and all the best. Of course. Thanks for having me, Al.
All right, Sam Fortier knows his stuff, and so does Redskins historian Mike Richmond. And Mike is going to join us next to discuss his new book on legendary former Skins head coach and general manager George Allen. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, we all love the NFL, and we all love pizza. So make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking players for your fantasy team, only with Little Caesars pizza you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. Well, there is no debating who the greatest head coach in Redskins slash Washington football team slash commander's history is. That person is Joe Gibbs. But there's also no debating who the second greatest head coach in franchise history is, George Allen. George Allen was the Skins head coach and general manager from January 1971 to January 1978. The Skins, over their seven seasons in being led by him, had a regular season winning percentage of 691 and never having a losing regular season record under him and made the playoffs in five of the seven seasons. Uh, Although Allen's playoff record with the Skins was just two and five with both of the postseason wins coming in the Skins' 1972 NFC Championship season. George Allen died on December 31st, 1990 at the age of 72. He was a fascinating person who ran the Skins in a fascinating way. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Redskins historian Mike Richmond, who is the author of multiple books about the Skins, including a new book, George Allen, A Football Life. Uh, The book is available for pre-order on Amazon. You could also order the book and find out more about the book by going to MikeRichmondJournalist.com. And you can follow Mike on X on Twitter at MSR underscore journalist. Uh, Mike, congrats on the book. Nice to talk to you. How are you? Good. Thank you very much, Al. I appreciate so much you having me on, and I'm looking forward to the conversation with you. George Allen, as you say, yes, he was a very fascinating figure. 
Yeah, I mean, you know a ton about Skin's history. What did you learn about George Allen in doing your research for this book? I would say it was like an elaboration on his uh, eccentricities, just the the colorful nature of this man and how he went about making himself a great football coach, what he did to really dive into the game and, and uh, de- so detail-oriented and, you know, he had to know everything about uh, an opposing team, whether as an assistant coach or as a head coach. For instance, uh, Ed Obrad- Obradovich, uh, the Bears uh, defensive tackle on that famous 63 Bears championship team that uh, Allen was the uh, defensive coordinator of, he told me that when Allen became the defensive coordinator of that team, we got an encyclopedia with everything we needed to know about opposing teams. It's like everything we need to know in a typhoon or any type of condition, George Allen knew about the opposing team. So that is an example of how he he went about uh, understanding other teams, understanding their tendencies and everything. And, and as the saying goes, he would try to know an opponent better than they knew themselves. George Allen in Running the Skins is perhaps most famous for his approach of the future is now. The idea of constantly being in win-now mode, trading draft picks for veteran players, etc. Where did that philosophy of the future is now come from? It was his just you know, focus on, on veteran players. That's what, he, that's what he focused on as the head coach uh, in his uh, 12 NFL seasons. He wanted players who were experienced and who wouldn't make those mental mistakes on the field. He just could not tolerate mistakes at all. And he, he, that's why he really didn't like younger players. He didn't, he didn't like rookies, which actually I found to be a paradox because when he was with the Bears, he was the head talent scout as well as the defensive coordinator. And he had some amazing draft picks. I mean, 61, he drafted Mike Ditka. 65, he drafted Butkus and Sayers. Uh, so, uh, and... Um, He's, he, Ronnie Bull, NFL Rookie of the Year in 1962, running back. He, he had some amazing draft picks back then, so he had a nose for college talent. But when he got to the pros, and I asked Bruce Allen this, his son, uh, I, I said, why Why is it? Why, why is there that distinction about him? And Bruce said it's because of that immediacy win now and, and when he became an NFL coach with the L.A. Rams in 66. And so that's, to answer your question, that is where that philosophy came from. The future is now, and that's how he – he coined that term when he came to the Redskins in 71. By the way, in talking with Bruce Allen, uh, uh, did his time as Skins executive come up? Uh, did what's happening with the commanders now come up? No, to be honest, we, we didn't. I didn't want to ask him anything about it. I didn't want to ask him about, about the current team or about anything that happened during the course of his uh, presidency or executive role with the team. We just talked about his father. We had... Uh, Two wonderful two-hour conversations, and just talked about. You know, I had a list of questions lined up, and, you know, point, point, point. You know, just went through everything, and he was great. But I, I didn't really want to touch on anything that happened when he was with the team because fair or not fair. I mean, there was just so much controversy, and I, I didn't want to go there. Understood. Hey, that could be a whole other book for you, Bruce Allen's time as Skins executive. Uh, It was George Allen who truly made the Skins rivalry with the Dallas Cowboys a thing. How and why did he do that? That rivalry really started in the 1960s when with the Sonny Jurgensen led Redskins. There, There was a rivalry going on back then with the 
Redskins and Cowboys. Uh, they had some, you know, wild shootout games, high scoring. But it was when Allen came here in 1971, he elevated the intensity of that rivalry. And again, another question for Bruce. And he said it was because of uh, Allen detested the way Tech Schramm and uh, uh, the Cowboys president or one of their executives and Roselle had this cozy relationship. Those two had worked together with the Los Angeles Rams in the 1950s, so they knew each other, Roselle being the NFL commissioner. So he thought that the Cowboys got favoritism. That's what he hated about the Cowboys. And he thinks that, for instance, when the in his first season, 1971, when the Redskins played their first three games, those were three NFC East games on the road. Now, that would be unthinkable today. I mean, that would just never happen. But sure enough, in 1971, the first three Redskins games that year were on the road, and they were three Redskins wins, by the way. So he thought that that was a plot by the league and, and whatever, Tech Schramm maybe advising them, advising Roselle on it, whatever, that, you know, schedule it like that to, you know, try and throw him off course. But it didn't. But that, to answer your question, that is where that, that came from that he elevated the intensity of that rivalry. He just could not stand them. Uh, he couldn't stand their uh, just their, their their stoic image either. You know, just the uh, corporate the corporate like image of the Cowboys. He just didn't he didn't like that either. What's interesting too is that okay, George Allen became the Skins head coach and general manager in January 1971. It was in September. 1971 that the Washington Senators played their final game as an MLB team of Washington, D.C. before becoming the Texas Rangers. The rise in popularity of the Skins in the 1970s coincided precisely with there being no MLB team in D.C. to say nothing of the Bullets being in Baltimore until the NBA's 1973-1974 season, and the Capitals not starting until the NHL's 1974-1975 season. Do you think that George Allen in the early 1970s saw a marketing opportunity to make the Skins the major force in D.C. sports? Well, I don't think it was marketing as in, you know, physically going out. and uh, yeah. It wasn't sales-wise from what I understand. But yes, he was a great promoter. He real, I mean, yeah, he absolutely had that knack about him, and yeah, and the fact that uh, the senators moved out at that very time when he came here in 1971, and you didn't have the the bullets basketball team in Washington yet at that time. They were to move here several years later in '73 or '74. So he was the lone professional franchise here. Uh, of course, there was no Washington Capitals either. He was the lone professional uh, sports franchise. And in, the only really competitor was the University of Maryland basketball team with Lefty Drizel saying that he was going to make Maryland the UCLA of the East. So, um, and, and George Allen took advantage of it uh, every which way he could, whether it was the Cowboys rivalry or, or just uh, pumping pumping that up. and But also understanding that he was the, sole franchise in town and then the fact that he was a winner i mean he he won they won the first five games in 1971 and uh he took the town by storm i mean nothing really exemplifies that more than when they came back from dallas after beating the cowboys and going three and oh they were met by ten thousand fans at dulles airport and in those days the fans could get onto the tarmac which would be unthinkable today but the fans 
made their way onto the tarmac. And, and the story I was told is that before the plane landed, they had to do some type of, the, the pilot had to understand where he'd be able to park the plane because there were fans that had made their way onto the tarmac. But that's an example of what he just, you know, and also he came here at a time when the Redskins hadn't been to any kind of postseason play in a quarter century. So this town was just longing for a winner. And sure enough, he delivered. Yes, he did. Much more with Mike Richmond on George Allen in moments. I'm going to next ask Mike about perhaps the greatest Washington quarterback controversy ever, Sonny Jurgensen versus Billy Kilmer. How great would Sonny have been as an underdog fantasy play back in the day? Underdog fantasy, uh, the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. It is offering a limited time enhanced special offer to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $500 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code Galdi. My last name, G-A-L-D-I, Galdi. Uh, Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers a pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $500 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $500, you get $500 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. More now with Redskins historian Mike Richman, the author of multiple books about the Skins, including a new book, George Allen, A Football Life. The book is available for pre-order on Amazon. You can also order the book and find out more about the book by going to MikeRichmanJournalist.com. Another famous aspect of George Allen's tenure with the Skins, of course, was the quarterback controversy. The great quarterback debate, Sonny Jurgensen versus Billy Kilmer. Sonny versus Billy was perhaps the first true quarterback controversy for the team, certainly in a modern sense. What stands out to you when you think about Sonny versus Billy? Well, first number one, and and they would say this today, both of them, that in their minds, it wasn't really a quarterback controversy. I mean, Absolutely, they both wanted to play. I mean, they were both fierce competitors. I mean, particularly Kilmer, which is a major reason that his teammates rallied around him. They they loved the, his pugnacity. They you know he went out there and he it, it, they they followed him. They thought he was a great leader. Sonny Jurgensen, I mean, he led with his with his skill. I mean, he was just an amazing passer. But in terms of a rivalry between the two, you know, they actually developed a, a really good friendship. Okay, so that. 
the, yeah, there was a rivalry. I like Billy. I like Sonny. The bumper stickers, that that sort of stuff, and, and the fans that in, you know they they bought into it, whatever. Uh, but between those two, I don't think they really considered it a rivalry. But where it became a rivalry is when Theismann came here in 1974. They couldn't stand Theismann. You know, Theismann, this brash guy. Uh, coming out of the CFL. He wrote a book on quarterbacking before he <laughs> played in his first NFL game. And so uh, Kilmer Jurgensen didn't like that. They also didn't like um, Theismann saying, you know, hey, I'm going to do my best to get on the field as a rookie. And, you know, Kilmer and Jurgensen, they, uh, they banded together and they said, you know, that's not going to happen. He is not going to get on the field. Uh, we'll do everything we can. And that's actually one thing that, that strengthened the the friendship between Kilmer and Jones. <laughs> they did not like Joe Theismann. George Allen preferred Billy Kilmer over Sonny Jurgensen. Is it accurate to say that? Yes, it is accurate to say that. And I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to, it's going to lead into probably the most interesting thing I found out in the book. But yes, he preferred Kilmer over Jurgensen because Jurgensen would freelance out there. He wouldn't necessarily follow the play calling, which was, was a conservative type play calling, which Jurgensen didn't appreciate at all. Uh, so he liked Kilmer. Kilmer followed more of the game plan and when he was more running oriented, because back in those days, the, the quarterbacks called their own plays. So Kilmer was more run oriented. He was more conservative and Allen really appreciated that about him. And he loved that, you know, Kilmer was a, this fierce competitor and he was a winner too. I mean, he had a very good winning percentage as a starter with the Redskins in the 1970s. But the most surprising thing that I found out in my research is that after the 1974 season, in January of 1975, the team president, Edward Bennett Williams, who controlled the daily operations of the team back then, he wrote a memo memo to, uh, to George Allen. And he told him, you know, because Allen was a big spender with his veteran players, you know, he gave them really lucrative salaries. So one of the things uh, William said was, you know, you got to get rid of some of these veterans who hardly play. But he also said that, hey, you need to decide between Kilmer and Jurgensen who you want on the team. Okay. One of those guys has to go. So I mentioned that because the story has been thrown around over the years that Allen unilaterally forced Jurgensen out. You know, because Jurgensen did retire at that point. But it really didn't work that way. Edward Bennett Williams wanted one of those guys out, too. And the other thing that was very interesting about that memo is that Edward Bennett Williams really liked Theismann. He wanted Allen to elevate Theismann to a starting role at that point, which this would have been heading into the 75 season, which would have been Theismann's second year. So it didn't happen. Theismann didn't really play as a starter in 75. He really didn't get on the field until, like, 76 uh, and he didn't even start for the whole season. So I even asked Eisman, you know, what, what do you think would have happened with your career if Allen had complied with that? And if you were a starter earlier in your career, would you would you have, uh, you know, blossomed earlier as a quarterback? His answer was, you know, George Allen, his his thing was if he could win a game two to nothing, that would that would that's what he would prefer. <laughs> He wouldn't care about what a quarterback could, you know, how many points a quarterback could produce on the field. He would want to win a game 2 nothing. That would make him happy. As I said earlier, George Allen, in serving as Skins head coach and general manager, had nothing but winning regular seasons. Overall, 
regular season record of 67-30-1. That is remarkable. What led to his departure in January 1978? What has been reported as him having been fired by the Skins, although I know that there is some key context to that. Well, that's, uh, it's an interpretation to actually use the word fired, and I'll explain. So Williams, Edward Bennett Williams, offered him a contract extension prior to the 1977 season. Allen did not sign it, okay? And as I explained in the book, one of the reasons could have been that there was no, um, there was no opportunity to, to buy a percentage. There was no stock option in the contract, which was sort of offered to Allen when he signed with the Redskins in 1971. Jack Ken Cook, according to the Washington Post, wrote to Allen and or gave him a separate letter saying, yeah, you will have the opportunity at some point to buy into the team. Well, he never exercised that. So in 77, when Williams gave him a contract extension offer, Allen, there was no stock option in the contract. So Allen never signed anything. And the 77 season just dragged on. Meantime, the job with the Los Angeles Rams looked like it was going to become open because, and sure enough, Chuck Knox, he left at the end of the season. He became the Buffalo Bills coach at that point. So that job was open. So Allen, and, you know, one of the uh, theories I had, and I touched on this in the book, is that he wanted to go back to Los Angeles. He and his wife had a lovely home in Palos Verdes Estates, a swank uh, L.A. suburb. They still had that home, and they wanted to go back to Los Angeles and live there. So he never signed that contract, and Williams just became impatient. Uh, he said, uh, like in around the third week in January of 78, he said, forget it, you're gone. I mean, no more contract, contract extension offer. So there was a contract extension offer, but Allen just, he didn't really sign it. So to define it as like a firing I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I think it was just that Allen didn't sign the extension. He had the opportunity to. And then the crazy postscript to George Allen's tenure with the Skins is then what happened with him and the Los Angeles Rams. He had that bizarre second stint as head coach of the Rams, a stint that lasted from February 1978 to August 1978. He was fired two games into the preseason for the team. What happened? Well, Carol Rosenblum uh, had him on a short leash from the very start. I mean, Rosenblum was making these remarks at the opening press conference. You know, uh, if Allen doesn't make it to the Super Bowl, we'll have to reevaluate things. So, you know, they were kind of like, they were jokes in a way. But but still, I think he was on a short leash. And so when training camp came around, first of all, some of those Rams players didn't want him there. Isaiah Robertson, the linebacker, uh, Pat Hayden, quarterback, they didn't really want him there. Robertson particularly. I mean, he was vehemently against uh, the signing of Allen. Uh, so when training camp came around, Allen was like a militaristic coach, and they, the players didn't like that at all. Now, you got to think, this is 1978. This is eight years removed from the last time he left L.A., and I, you know, things were changing a little bit in the NFL. Things were evolving. The players, the money was starting to roll in a little bit, the contract. So the players were gaining more of a voice and uh, it wasn't nearly what it was like today. But so the players had a voice. They didn't like him. They didn't like Allen. You know, he didn't want any trash left on the field. They didn't want that. Uh, they, they didn't. They hated his no water policy. And one of the team doctors actually mentioned something to him. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, and I interviewed one of the uh, Southern 
California reporters about this, Doug Krikorian, he was a Daily Beat reporter, he said, well, you think uh, Vince Lombardi didn't have a no-water policy or other coaches didn't have a no-water policy, but things were changing. And also, you've got to remember, this is in Southern California, summer, summer temperatures. It was really hot out there. Who knows? I mean, the Southern players were envisioning, the doctor was envisioning something bad happened. So they lost their first two preseason games. Uh, there was very little offensive production. I mean, there was just no life on the team whatsoever. So Carol Rosenblum and his son, Steve Rosenblum, approached him after the second preseason game and said, sorry, George, this just isn't working out. George Allen's first stint as Rams head coach, January 1966 through the 1970 season, he had nothing but winning regular seasons with the Rams, but then was fired. What was the deal with that? Uh, again, it was another run-in with, with an owner. I mean, he that was basically the key reason. He was fired twice, actually. He was fired after the 1968 season, and this was after, after his first three years were winning years one of which was an 11-1-2 season, which was an amazing uh, record. Uh, they beat uh, That season they beat uh, Green Bay and Baltimore in the last two regular season games, both of which were league powerhouses at the time. Um, but he didn't, Dan Reeves didn't like him. I think there was a jealousy on the part of Reeves that Allen was getting all the attention. Again, Reeves didn't like the spending. I mean, Allen was bringing in all of these high-priced veteran players. Dan Reeves didn't like that. Um Reeves had control of the scouting. Allen had control of the rest of the personnel. So Reeves fired him after the 68 season. And this was actually one of the surreal moments in George Allen's coaching career. He staged a press conference. He called for a press conference at one of the ritzy Los Angeles hotels. And Allen spoke with sunglasses on to hide his tears. And I think there were real tears, by the way. And they had like 20 veteran Ram players show up and said, Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, uh, um, uh, Metter and Metter safety. They basically said, if Allen is not rehired, we're quitting. So Reeves rehired him like two weeks later. But Reeves said, you know, I didn't rehire him because of what the players said. I just, you know, brought it back. Uh, you know, I thought give, give George another chance. So two years later, he was kind of on a short leash after that rehiring. Two years later, at the end of his five-year contract, Reeves. Uh, fired him for the second time. But Jack Cook actually, he was the majority owner of the Redskins who lived in L.A. and knew George Allen. He actually wanted to bring Allen to Washington after the 68 season for the first time. Otto Graham had been fired. So Jack Cook wanted to bring him to Washington. Allen said, you know, he wanted to fulfill the entire five years of his uh, Rams contract. So he stayed in L.A. That's so interesting because the Skins ended up hiring Vince Lombardi as head coach and general manager in February 1969, right? They hired Vince Lombardi at that point, exactly, yes. Wow. Vince Lombardi, uh, 1969. <laughs> that is quite the what-if to ponder. Final question, George Allen's playoff record with the Skins, just 2-5. and five. Did Allen's teams being filled with older players make those teams vulnerable to fading late in seasons. Why was Allen's playoff record with the Skins just two and five? Oh, I mean, I think there's a, uh, a le- you know, legitimate reason uh, why that happened. And I explored this in the book too. And that is Allen's reliance on these veteran players so much. I mean, there were a few younger players that he brought in that were really good, but Mike Thomas running back in 75, who was the NFC rookie of the year. Uh, but he just didn't really rely on draft picks that much. And so, they were a good team after the 72 season, but they weren't like a great team. They were a you know good 
very good team, but they weren't on par with like the, the Steelers or the Cowboys or even the Miami Dolphins for that matter. Uh, so, and I explored that in the book. I said, you know, look at the Steelers draft of uh, 74. They drafted four future Hall of Famers. They signed Donnie Schell, who was as a free agent, who was another future Hall of Famer. Prior to that, they had drafted uh, Mean Joe Green in 69 and Terry Bradshaw in 70. So they built through the draft. They were prepared for it. Allen wasn't really building the team like that. So they were good, but they weren't great. That is the answer to your question as to why they faded and why they weren't able to compete with these other teams. George Allen, so many layers to his football career. The book is George Allen, A Football Life. It is by Redskins historian Mike Richmond. The book is available for pre-order on Amazon. You can also order the book and find out more about it by going to MikeRichmanJournalist.com. Mike, thank you, and best of luck with the book. It was great to talk to you, Al, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, one thing that I think is safe to say about George Allen, the man appreciated a good shave. (laughs) If only George was around to benefit from the excellent products of Manscaped, But you are around to benefit from the excellent products of Manscaped. And my friends at Manscaped, there's something new for you, the Handyman. Uh, The Handyman is the best electric shaver ever. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the Handyman is designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. And here's a special treat with no trick. For this Halloween season, go to manscaped.com and use the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, for 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, We've all dealt with bad razors that uh, make your neck look like a horror movie. What's great about The Handyman is that its skin-safe technology helps to reduce nicks and cuts, so you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. And if you are a beard guy, uh, Manscaped has the Beard Hedger, which is a high-tech beard grooming piece of excellence that offers 20 different beard lengths in just one guard and has a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. Whatever your shaving needs, Manscaped has you covered. Don't settle for mediocrity with your shaving. Get with Manscaped and take advantage of this special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code GALDI for 20% off plus free shipping. That's manscaped.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off plus free shipping. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 675, will include a lot for you on the Commanders, including a conversation with Commanders analyst Mark Bullock, as we will go in-depth on the Commanders defense and on quarterback Sam Howell. Also on Wednesday show, I will talk Orioles, as they on Tuesday night will try to avoid postseason elimination down 2-0 to the Texas Rangers in a best-of-five American League Division Series. Game 3 is at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, Tuesday night at 8.03. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Three cheers for the Redskins. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hey, let's have three more. Three cheers for the Redskins. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hip, hip.
sweetie. The damn guy that prepared so much, and hell, we're going to go a long ways together, but here's George Allen. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.